0: The Australian Football Video Film Festival podcast is proudly brought to you by leagetees.com.au, the retro footy fan gear that makes every week retro round. The League Tees Footy Shop is packed with footy tees, retro footy jumpers, hoodies, and all things retro footy. That's leagetees.com.au.
1: fantastic Name the Game series from Australian football. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? Folks, let me warn you it's bruising, bloody, and very much in your face.
0: And we've pulled out stuff that would make a 16 stone wharfie cry.
1: highlights, not just the last quarter, but a hundred minutes of top footy action. Welcome to the 90s, the decade that delivered. It was a 10-year period in football unlike any other this century. The electrifying 80s, the highs and lows of a dynamic decade of football. Over the next two hours, relive some of the most exciting moments in VFL football in the sensational city. The Peter Hudson story. Dublin's gym, the story of Jimmy Steins. The road to victory. Collingwood's struggle to the Premiership and the year of the Rising Saints, St Kilda's fight to the 1991 finals.
0: Sensational 70s, Part 2, 1975-1979. Here's what the blurb of the video Sensational 70s reads as follows. Sensational, part of the Oxford Dictionary's explanation for the word, suggests a stirring of emotions of many people. If the 70s didn't arouse and perverse the interest of people throughout our great country, then no decade has for this chapter in the history of football was indeed sensational. Beginning and ending with the mighty grand final clashes between the two juggernauts of the competition, Carlton and Collingwood, this era of football will live long in the memory. It saw the game progress from black and white to colour on our television screens, and it produced marvellous highlights on the field of dreams. From Richmond's back-to-back flags in 1973 to 74 to the stirring, drawn grand final of 1977 and the emotion-charged replay to the spending spree at Arden Street, which saw North Melbourne, so long a cellar dweller, emerge as a VFL power. The 70s had it all. Drama, action, heartbreak, intensity, the sensational 70s relives a golden era in football's wonderful and colourful history. We resume the sensational 70s looking at 1975 to 1979. Football is in glorious colour. My guest reviewer is Ashley Brown. He's the senior writer at the AFL Record and author of the new book, 2020, A Season Like No Other. It's Ash Brown, and we're now in glorious colour from
1: 1975 to
0: 1979. Oh, it's a long, long while.
1: From May to December. But the days grow short. When you reach September.
0: This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Uh, in our previous episode, we covered the first half of Sensational 70s, the black and white era from 1970 to 1974. And joining me is. Ash Brown to go through the second half in glorious colour of Sensational 70s, the most iconic, the granddaddy, the, the Ben-Hur, the, the Citizen Kane of Australian football video. In fact, this just probably one of the greatest films ever made, Sensational 70s. But Ash, of course, has actually written a new book. Of course, you can catch his work in the AFL record, but he's written a new book uh, about the 2020 football season. Um, Ash, I'm a bit disappointed you didn't opt for that was the season that was as the title.
2: Yeah, well, we threw around a few titles. We came up with uh, AFL 2020, uh, a season like no other, and with Hardy Grant Publishing and Jess Fader. Yeah, the full story, inside the wall story of the remarkable 2020 season, how it was brought to its knees by the coronavirus and somehow found a way to get going again and finish in lots of glory in your backyard building. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a pleasure to write. Uh, had some great catches, a lot of really good people in footy. And it's a story, it all it appeals to obviously to the footy fans, but it's also a story, I think, people with interest in business as well. It's, uh, footy's a $7.6 billion industry at the moment, and that's how uh, an industry of that size recalibrated on the run and managed to get through uh, really existential threat in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, writing that and, uh, and telling that story. It's uh, $32.99. to have failed through hard Event Publishing, and they're all good bookshops. And as they say, Dylan, they're not so good ones as well.
0: I think it's great that something has been written, and, of course, there's that Amazon documentary too, that Fly on the Wall documentary uh, coming out as well about last season um, in 2020. Ash, I've, of, I've often discussed on this program that um, footy history has a bit of classic hits radio to it in the fact that, you know, we are talking about the 70s. So we talk about the 70s, 80s and 90s and today. And today spans 20 years. Gen- two, uh, nearly two and a half generations worth of players here we're talking about. Different eras. Do you think, and I think it's really great that something like this, that what you've written and what the Amazon documentary is doing in terms of telling this story. Story about what happened in such a significant season. But do you think that we've kind of dropped the ball on documenting um, retrospective content of uh, seasons gone by? Because there's no longer that was the season that was that's made. Uh, There hasn't been a decade recap of the 2000s or the 2010s. And, you know, you and I have been discussing – so far throughout uh, this episode of Australian Football Video Film Festival um, about the sensational 70s. Do you think there's still a need for this kind of stuff to be made?
2: Well, you wouldn't make money out of it, Dylan. I mean, the thing is that so much of the video... I mean, look, uh, that was something that wild is now part of the Brown line coverage, really, mm. um, as they do the round-by-round round for the Brown Loan. <laughs> there's so much... Oh, footy Vision these days is available through YouTube. Well, the is you know, also getting not building up its on-demand product as well. Fox Footy shows them. You know, Fox Footy shows every decent game last twenty-five years over summer. Very easy to put them on your IQ or your DVR however you want to do it and find them. Um, so I'm just not sure. You can, it's not that hard to find the great games and the great bits of information about it. We did the April record. We've done. Retrospective 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably timely that we did a, an ORT one. and It's been 10 years now, and a fair bit happened. So it's probably timely to revisit that again. But it's, it's the information is much easier to find. AFL Tables, I mean, that oh, website that we always have. Greatest website in the times. world. Uh, yeah, well, that gives you the information. You can look up stats of any game ever played now. It's not that difficult to find. So uh, Wikipedia has really detailed drill down of every season now as well. So a lot of it is easier to get than before, but maybe one should do it for posterity. This this publication or this video is the definitive record of a decade. It's not out of the question that it should be done.
0: I think it it should be done, and you're right. Like the 2000s, there's so many good stories to tell, and it's been, what, 10 years, so you can actually get some decent reflection on it. Um, And you could even make one about the past decade because I just think... um, uh, a lot of the videos we talk about and we reflect on the Australian football video era, which sort of did wonderful season recaps and, you know, the guests we've had on the show, uh, be it when they're talking about, um, you know, when we had uh, Danny talking about Footscray in 92, uh, Ablett one special season, A Tiger Tail, uh, Hotter Than Hell, these are such brilliant recaps of seasons and they seem to bring back so many good memories even if they're seasons where your team doesn't win the premiership and I just think we kind of lack that kind of documentation there's heaps of stuff out there but there isn't just it's just very much what's the next thing that the I just feel like there needs to be a bit more reflecting and we've got to celebrate the yeah. recent football history as well as the, the the glorious history that we talk about on this show
2: my other sporting passion, the NFL, they bring out video recaps of every year, and every team that's a stinker every year and wins two games. They'll still produce, NFL films will still, still produce a half hour recap of the season. that they'll, They can spin it in all sorts of ways. They somehow, in a few cases, manage to make a, you know, strawberry jam out of shit, but uh, they get to do it. So I'm thinking, why not? Why not do it?
0: Mm. So, uh, any significant media operator that might be listening to this show, um, but there's a willing market here that would be happy to help. And, and we would be happy to produce uh, – I've already got the title. We've got Tremendous 2000s and Tricky Teens. Fantastic. There you go. That's two decades worth. Isn't it, isn't it The orts? The Amazing orts. The Amazing orts. Oh, I like that. The Amazing or- – yeah, not bad. The, the 90s title, The Decade That Delivered, they really just gave up on that one. But no, that- they
2: dropped them. The
0: ball there, didn't they? It's a terrific doco, but the title is a bit meh. Um, let's go back into Sensational 70s and let's join the first year of Colour TV in 1975. Three
1: interstate recruits burst onto the BFL scene at the start of 1975, and Colour, the missing dimension, came into our homes for the first time.
0: Yes, it, it just brightens up in 1975, doesn't it? Just we go from bleak black and white grey vision to glorious colour and every team's embracing the colour TV era.
2: I was very lucky going up. My father was an advertising man, so he sort of needed a colour TV at
0: home. Oh, you So I could
2: see the ads he was creating uh, in colour rather than black and white. So we had the first round of 75. I remember watching the football replay that evening and just, the living colour, Channel 9 was like living colour, but um just watching football in living colour was extraordinary. And Essendon with their red shorts, and Fitzroy and Richmond with their gold shorts, and Hawthorne with their brown shorts. Collingwood were no different, so black and white. Uh Carlton wearing navy shorts instead of black shorts. South with the red shorts. Melbourne moved from the navy blue and red, which is a big mistake, to sort of a royal blue and red. Which is a mistake. They probably uh, they walked back several years later.
0: Well, it's now their crash uh, jumper, the uh, just, royal blue.
2: Yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're talking, You could do a whole bit, mate, You can do a whole, uh, a whole podcast on Melbourne's crash jumpers <laughs> and the saga of, of them. They've never found one that works. Um, so it was a, an amazing time. It was an amazing time to see football in colour, and the picture quality started to improve as well. Um, just a great time. A great year to follow football and, and to see it all you know, in, in colour on both Channel 7 and on the ABC as well.
0: That's right, because um, I think we all seem to think it was just Channel 7 that did the football for years, but the ABC did it as well.
2: Now, the ABC would be in the football. They had the winners we talked about before. that, and I reckon the winners started about 75, I reckon. It was uh, an hour on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Five to six leading into countdown, so it said it was the two greatest hours of TV. Every week there was – they also had a Saturday replay at, at six o'clock and they, they – people find it ridiculous that the commentators used to rush back through the traffic after footy to the TV studios, both the Channel 7 and the ABC in Elstermy, Um, to do recaps. And, that you know, you're probably we they'll have to send you a Fitzroy today. So don't you know, Fitzroy versus Footscray – what happened? They might have the footage, they might not, um, but they managed to um, talk about the games in depth. It's quite remarkable. sort of stuff that doesn't happen these
0: days. Would have been quite the feat to organise that. Uh, I, I, I take my hat off to anyone who had to coordinate that. Um, it is a bit sad as well, 75, because you get the Neil Saxe in, uh, incident pretty quickly, um, which is. Probably one of the more tragic and brutal injuries uh, ever suffered on the football field. And Footscray paid fifty thousand dollars for South Australian Neil Sexy. In this incident,
1: Sexy broke his spine and became a quadriplegic. It was the tragedy of the decade.
2: Yeah, he passed away. I think it was last year. Yeah, very um, recently. He yeah. Actually, you know, lived a lived a remarkably uh, great life, given that in nineteen seventy-five, in just his second game for Footscray, he was. Uh, Accidentally contacted in the neck, back of the head by uh, Kevin O'Keefe in Fitzroy and became a quadriplegic. And obviously uh, never played foot and never walked again. Um, and it was a, a, a cast of shadow over the game for a long time. You know, he was the only new, he was a South Australian star to come to Footscray. And, um, yeah, a, a really sad episode.
0: We made a central character who's going to feature prominently in the second half of Sensational Seventies in the color era. And uh, he uh, he lives up to the reputation of Color TV because we met a man by the name of Fabulous Phil Carmen. Meanwhile at Maravin, Phil Carmen had He's undergone a major change. He clicked on a pair of gleaming
1: white boots and kicked eleven goals in an awesome display of sheer ability. From that day on, he was tagged Fabulous Phil. Just a footballer who was made to play in the seventies,
2: Dylan, just a superstar. Yeah, you know, he was a prodigious kick on both sides of the body. He kicked 11 goals against St Kilda at and a game that thankfully was covered properly by the four cameras. Um, that was a game that uh, Durham Verden, you talked to Durham Verden about, where his love of football was cemented. And he talks about, he looked at Frankston. He, he caught the train to Moorabbin that day and watched Phil Palmer kick 11 goals for Collingwood. And he was just a ma- magical footballer. Probably cost, we'll probably get to it when we talk about 77, cost probably cost kind of the apprenticeship, probably being suspended, but he could do anything. He was the Mercurial with a capital M.
0: Central character of Sensational 70s and plays a little cameo at the very start of Electrifying 80s. Uh, might be mentioned, uh, dear old Fabulous Phil, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that when we do Electrifying 80s. Yes, that is being made. We know we had people ask, yes, that is in production. Bear with us. Uh, we're taking it one, tr- one uh, amazing decade at a time here. Well, we're splitting him in two anyway. Um Gary Dempsey winning the Brownlow, um, it's quite the story because um, he won the Brownlow. Yeah,
2: yeah, early seventies or 69 or 70, he was badly burnt in the Lara bushfires, um, and there was a famous footy photo that used to appear about in the late seventies. He, he was it was a, a excuse me a throw in at the Witten Oval against North Melbourne. His arms are raised, and you can actually see under his sort of under his arm. Where he's, at, he's got burn marks, he's got he's got scarred he's got scarred uh, scarred arms in bushfire, but he sort of well, obviously still lives with it. So for him to turn around and win the Brownlow a few years later it was an incredible feat by him. He was a really he was sort of sort of your old style a real craftsman, but then drop off and, and dominate, kick behind the play. So he didn't didn't afford a lot Dempsey, but he was a wonderful player sort of behind the ball as well, impassable for a lot of the time that he played. So he was a. Really good football. It was a very, very popular win uh, when he won the
0: Brownlow in 75. Yes, and we get the uh, first colour vision of the uh, Brownlow medal count, so we uh, can clearly see everyone uh, in their del- their beautiful 70s tuxes and the darts, just the smoke just wafting through the ballroom. <laughs> the <wafting>. uh, <laughs> wherever yeah. that Brownlow was held. Was it the Southern Cross? Is that where the Brownlow would have been held that year? Yeah, by then. By yeah, then Southern the Southern Cross ballroom. Um, Southern Cross. And um, brilliant Don Rainsford narration. Don Rainsford, of course, the narrator of Sensational 70s, sorry, he says as his name was called out, the big fella shed a tear and nobody in the room cared one little bit. As his name was announced, the big fellow shed a
1: tear and nobody in the room or watching it at home cared one little bit. 1975 Brownlow medal to Gary Dempsey.
0: Because both that's like you don't cry. Gear, so no, you don't cry, mate. Both don't cry. No, um, no, this is seventies, mate. We don't have any of this crying. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and then we get high flying marks montage. There's not as much Biffo in '75. They, they went a bit easy on the Biffo highlights, I reckon. That's that. That was the more lighter Biffo that they showed in the in, in the Biffo recaps. Um, the '75 Grand Final. Well, I think the
2: Biffo. The Biffo was a bit more. There wasn't because the trial by video was and started to take effect. There was a bit less. By the mid-70s, the Biffo had started to die down. There was still... And when there was like, Biffo, it was celebrated. We'll talk about some of those. You know, over the rest of the decade, it was, there were great episodes of Biffo, but it wasn't a week-in, week-out episode anymore because it was getting harder with trial video and there was color TV as well. It was getting hard to get away with it. And coaches started... And clubs started to become more demanding of players not to do stupid things like, you know, could just being suspended, mate. So don't
0: go to be anymore. We get uh, another high-flowing Marks montage. I love the montages in Sensational 70s. If you can just think how hard it would have been to actually do make those, um, you know, there wasn't no Adobe uh, Creator Studio Pro back then, so they would have actually had to cut the vision and add the music. They were just put together so brilliantly. Uh, 75 is a ripper. And then the grand final, uh, North Wind. they beat Hawthorne. You were never going to win that day. That was all about North Melbourne. That was all the sentimental feels.
2: Yeah, first grand final I've, uh, I've been to um, mm-hmm. in 75, yeah. There was uh, nobody. I mean, Hawthorne didn't have a big supporter base then as it was. But it really, it was like the support for that day wasn't much different to Richmond v. Giants in 99. It was just a few pockets of Hawthorne supporters here and there and everybody else was going for North Melbourne. And they uh, they were fantastic and they deserved to win it that year. They were, they just came good at the right time. Um, it was the – I'm not sure the a new old story given that they Bought half their premiership team, but it was long overdue, and there was a lot of goodwill for them. Of course, we the the drama lead up with fourth on Peter Crimmins, yeah, who'd uh, who'd missed most of the season uh, a cancer treatment didn't play after round five or round six. Came back for the reserves finals, played really well for three weeks. John Kennedy faced the agonising decision wasn't take for the grand final. In the end, chose not to. Uh, probably flattened Hawthorne a bit, probably wouldn't have won had he played. But there are are a couple of Hawthorne people who say that they would have won had he played. They they flattened them by that much. Um, Yeah, but really divided Hawthorne, uh, the decision out whether or not he should play. And we talk about the coach's video, the coaches appearing and reviewing it. I've always loved the John Kennedy talking about us when he says, we were whipped. We were whipped.
1: We were whipped. We were whipped, and we, and we had to suffer the disgrace of having people around the club say, "I don't think Hawthorne tried," but it certainly enabled us to sow a few seeds for the next year.
2: And then talk about how planted the seed for the following year, and it was—it's the classic candy line. You know, we were whipped, very school headmasterish sort, which is what he was.
0: I think uh, was, sort of, I think it was words to the extent of, "We were whipped." We were whipped and we had to suffer the disgrace. <laughs>
2: That's right. That's what it was, exactly. So, just um, so, yeah, my Hawker people adore Kendi uh, as they do because it was uh, just, uh, no no beating around the bush for that one. So, yeah, no, no good on North for winning. And Brassie, Brassie's been around, he played a few premierships, Brassie, six as a player and two at Carlton, as well as two at count. So, this was premiership number nine, but, you know, clearly affected him. You know, very special way to be involved in morphs first, and, you know, the old story about the old people saying,
1: "Now I die happy," sort of stuff. It, 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 magical uh, stuff. My greatest pleasure that night was watching the old supporters—you know, 50 60s 70 uh, and seventy-year-olds—just done done. The pleasure. It. Oh, that, those people too, but the, uh, they, they were just <laughs> yes, the sure. silent souls, and you know, they, oh, was, they yes. were saying, you "No, know, if I die now, it doesn't matter." <laughs> sort yeah. of Thing. It was ep- absolutely magnificent.
0: Let's have a look at nineteen seventy-six. <laughs>
1: There was no greater admission of the quickening pace of the game than at the beginning of the 1976 season, when the league introduced the two umpire system.
0: Now, here's a very, a couple of very radical changes that he's covered in Sensational 70s, Ashley Brown, uh, and it all happens in 1976 because uh, we get the introduction of two umpires on the field. So it wasn't, they've gone from just one umpire to two field umpires on the ground and it naturally like all rule changes throughout the history of Australian rules football there's confusion and chaos during a ground uh, during a game and at Arden Street this North Melbourne Essendon match just turns into a complete shambles not
1: even the BFL expected the system to slip into gear straight away but they were hardly prepared for the chaos it was to cause at Arden Street this day what's he doing? oh it's a free kick up the field apparently I don't know what it's for I couldn't work that out at all. Well, Kevin Smith, the other umpire. When Harvey Lyons and Kevin Smith stopped Lord supplying Lord, the comic relief, North, North, North Melbourne show, and Essendon done provided done one of the most thrilling the games of the year. It, yeah, and, and
2: isn't is about how the commentators have got no idea what's going on, the umpires have got no idea what's going on, the players have got no idea what's going on, and then the Bronx cheer from the supporters eventually when uh, the ball's moved, I think, by, up by Harvey Lyons from one end of the game to the other because of some minor indiscretion. Um, it's fantastic, really well captured. Uh, by the count seven cameras that day. So, um, yeah, it was big deal. But, I mean, you read all the footy books. I started reading footy books in the mid-70s. The players would always say you know, how fast the game had become, you know, in the sort of early 70s. So it was logical that they finally brought in two umpires.
0: Speaking of iconic moments and iconic commentary moments, uh, North Melbourne versus Carlton at Prince's Park. And I think just about everyone can quote the passage of commentary. This is, of course, Malcolm Blight's goal after the siren. Now, had there been a fifty-meter line, it may not have looked as far out as it would have been. I'm adamant that it, it, if there was a normal fifty-meter line, it, people may not be. Blighty has had the license to maybe add a little bit of sh- add a little bit of honey to how much, how far he kicked it. But uh, Mike Williamson's commentary is probably it's definitely in the top five passages of commentary of all time for this one. <laughs>
1: forward, 28 minutes gone, the crowd's gone mad, There's the siren. siren's gone, now Blythe will have to take his kick, now Blythe would have to kick this, oh he'd have to kick it 85, 90 metres, but he's going to have a kick alright, it's not over yet, not over yet, what drama here at Prince's Park, Malcolm Blythe, it's a big kick, it's a massive kick!
2: It's magnificent. He's got to kick it, I don't know, 85 metres. I mean, I don't think Mike ever got quite got metrics. But it's just beautiful because the whole footage. I mean, it was either like the Neil Dano game that you'll talk about in the, eight, uh, time in the 80s. He kicked the three goals in the lead up as well. He didn't just kick the winning goal. He got them back in the game. He just kicked two or three goals before then and he gets in the lead and takes that mark to go back. And you can see how he, he doesn't think he can kick it. And he's looking at his teammates' advice and that's what he's doing. No, mate, just go back and have a shot. Let's, let's see how you go. And then it is the ball at to end all ball bursts. And of course, if you go up hating Carlton as I did, um, to have a kick at a Heatley stand in makes it even better. <laughs> would have been great if you kicked it at the score whenever where they were the North supporters You kicked it right into the teeth of where were, the, 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 the arrogant Carlton supporters would have been. It would have been those, they, they, the most North supporter would have been the greatest. Well, they won't have previously been before, but apart from that, it was one of the greatest ones ever. Can- and the commentary is iconic, and of course, the commentary after the assistant showed on the video is uh, when Mike Winchester says, "I have seen it all. I have seen it all."
0: Can you do the full passage? Can you can you do your best one?
2: Uh, no, I think you're probably better. Bit, but I like it. It's a big kick, and then I think he says it's a mammoth kick. That's
0: it's the It's of It's, by then, it's, it's, it's a big S- kick. <sighs> it's not over yet. It's not over yet. What drama here at Prince's Park? <laughs> yeah,
2: then it's a big kick as it's starting through the end. I think he it says, it's a mammoth kick, and then it's just hysteria. Oh, it's brilliant. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just
0: fantastic. That's, that's um, a, 76 is the last year we get. Mike Williamson, he leaves Channel 7 after that. That's our last yeah, year. We'll talk, we'll
2: yeah, talk yeah we'll talk about that. We'll if, get into that. We'll talk about that in um, We'll get into that whole story.
0: We get into the Biffo. We have the Biffo of 76, uh, Usual Suspects. Carl Dietrich features again. Robbie Muir. Um, uh, interesting backstory now of Robbie Muir. Uh, our friend of the show, Russell Jackson, wrote that brilliant piece on him. Um, but uh, to go yeah, back... Yeah, we can sort of big
2: oh, I want to talk about that. Yeah. For watching... Uh, Dylan... Even now, watching Robbie Muir, I mean, even two years ago, you'd watch that you'd watch this video mm. and you giggle at Robbie Muir. Mm. But really, Russell has changed the entire conversation around Robbie Muir, hasn't he, to Absolutely. a point now where you, you, feel, you feel guilty watching it. You feel terrible watching it because you know in lot of what led up to his on-field eruptions. And it's it, just an entirely different context now with Robbie Muir. And, you know, again, Social 70 celebrates the Biffo and it's an, and should be viewed in the context of, an, of we talk about as well as a, as an historical document about the time. But it's all very different now.
0: Absolutely. And I recommend anyone listening uh, look up, if they haven't already, look up Russell's uh, piece on uh, Robbie Muir. It's probably some of the best uh, football writing of the past year, along with your book, Ash, of course. Um,
2: <laughs> no, uh, Russell puts us all in the shade.
0: <laughs> um Speaking of uh, something, you go back to Peter Landy's editorial at the very introduction of Sensational 70s where he's bemoaning the commercialism of football. You know, Channel 7's Peter Landy, not the ABC's Peter Landy. Um, they, they point out that, that uh, Don Rainsford points out that by 1976, football was being played at a sprint, handball becoming more prominent, and Carlton... Because the commercialism signed a huge deal with Avco for $125,000 for three years. Because this is the last year where sponsors aren't on the jumper. The VFL logo starts to appear on the jumper. There's no sponsors just yet.
2: Well, you had, I remember always, because it was, it was a big deal at the time. So you had Avco with Carlton um, in 76, CUB with Richmond.
1: I've
0: mm. a little good story George about
2: with Essendon. Windvale Flaggons with Hawthorne. Yep. Um Geelong had Ford. Geelong oh, had Ford for a lot it only sort of became a big deal when I started putting on the jumpers before most of us actually realised it happened, but the Ford wanted wants forever. But this year it was a it was a, a big deal. um and you, you, know, you see the sign on the scoreboard and, and that sort of thing. It was a sponsorship, but it was really important, it's a really important part. Of, of the game and it was a financial salvation for a lot
0: of the clubs. It, it, I think that was the first year they actually launched proper official VFL merchandise um, is what I've read, which probably put the uh, Nana will need you a jumper out of business or really put a dent in their uh, customer base because I'm assuming as a child at the time, Ash, um, if you wanted to get a Hawthorne jumper – and your mum and dad said, no, 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 your grandma will need your Hawthorne jumper. You weren't having that, were you? You, you wanted the proper one with a VFL logo, preferably a sponsor.
2: Uh, my, my very lovely auntie Aviva knitted me a Hawthorne scarf. Uh-huh. First it was yellow and brown, not golden brown. Oh, she, got be the yellow, she got the yellow colour wrong, and I wore it once at the football, and then I saw these people, it's a VFL-approved hawk scarf with a logo, and I never wore that scarf. Ever again, you want to be seen in the official gear at all? The VFL logo on your bit of merchandise. Uh, No wonder the actual the VFL property division, was called that. They became the very desirable product to have, and you wouldn't want to be as an impressionable eleven-year-old. I didn't want to be seen dead in the unofficial anymore. No,
0: no, no. But these days, you want to be seen in leaguetees.com.au. Proud sponsors of this (laughs) podcast. Of course. Uh, goes without saying. Um seventy six grand final. Hawks win. They do it for do it for Cremo. Hawthorne would never losing that grand final.
2: No, and they kicked uh they kicked thirteen twenty two and one by thirty points. They should have, they were probably an eight or ten goal better side than North that did that they were on a team mission. At one stage Ron Barassi uh was said uh something along the lines of um he said, to "John Kenny, you you've got uh, a vendetta against us this year, don't you, John?" And John Kenny said to Ron, uh, "It's a stronger word than vendetta, Ron." they <laughs> uh, beat him four times, plus once in the night series, which he played in Adelaide. So, which doesn't get featured in this video, the 1976 night series was played in Adelaide, the NFL championships, and there were four or five teams in the VFL: Hawthorne, Carlton, North Footscray, and I think Richmond. Okay it was televised on Channel 9. Ah. So, yeah, that's why right. that doesn't make an appearance on this video. So, footy sort of came back in 76, not 77, as this video would have you believe. Um, so, Hawthorne beat North five times, including the grand final. But, yeah, it was a bittersweet day for Hawke. They won the grand final and uh, Peter Cummins did make it to the Games too, still to attend sadly passed away uh, about three days after the game and uh, out again to Dan Eddy for his fantastic Crimo biography that was published last year that just tells you the story, the criminal story, and the drama and, and the, the events around this time as well uh, tells it really well. Brownlow is interesting. Gray Moss wins um, and then goes back to Perth to play for Claremont. so he, he disappears um, very quickly. The umpires, but here's an interesting fact, the umpires both paid votes uh, for the brownlow, so he won with like forty six or forty seven votes because the two umpires called their own oh, votes. Oh, okay. Rather than Peter Knights missed eight games with a broken collarbone and lost to brownlow by three votes. Wow. That equates to one and a half votes. So Knights probably would have won the brownlow that year had he played a full season. Graham Moss was the best back in the competition and a very uh, a very worthy winner. But uh, it was a big story when he said, "That's it, I'm going home now." And the brownlow medalist walks away.
0: Graham Moss, of course, playing for Essendon. Yes.
2: Okay, so, so that was 76. That was, uh, yeah, uh, sort of uh, the start of the commercial year really wasn't it. Cold TV was a trench now. Um, but it's also the end, if it, it's sort of the end of an year as well, because Sir Maurice Nathan stepped down as president of the VFL at the end of 76, and then in 77, as we'll get to Alan Ale, moves from North Melbourne to the president of the VFL and he took the league on a journey and in some ways it's still going on today, it was a real fork I know we talk about 74 to 75 Dylan because of the second one the colour but actually 75 to 77 is a really big fork in the road for, for League Q as well
1: Australian football video presents grand final football at its best. Relive St Kilda's 1966 Premiership victory over Collingwood. A magnificent video recalling the day the Mighty Saints took their first flag. And the 1977 North Melbourne Double Pack. Featuring the grand final draw and replay against Collingwood. These two videos show the Roos winning their second flag in three years. These historic football contests are an essential part of any sports library.
0: Now, I'm told that the Peter Landy Sensational 70s T-shirt and of course, leagetease.com.au, proud sponsors of the Australian Football Video Film Festival, are selling like hotcakes. They are the must-have fashion item for anyone listening to this show. Uh, it just must-have fashion item in general. They should be wearing it in Paris, Milan... Uh, New York, all the fashion capitals are wearing the Peter Landy Sensational 70s t-shirt. Look like the coolest person you know in the Peter Landy Sensational 70s t-shirt. Maybe you are listening to part two of the Australian Football Video Film Festival Sensational 70s, 1975 to 1979 with Ash Brown and myself, Dylan Leach, right now wearing your league tees. Peter Landy Sensational 70s t-shirt. A big shout-out if you are. But there's more than just the Peter Landy Sensational 70s t-shirt at LeagueTees.com.au. No, there is not. Uh, Oh, there is, there is, there is, there is, there is. is, is, There's so much. Oh, my God. There's the Ron Barassi Sensational 70s t-shirt. There's the Windvale t-shirt. There's, oh, there's just a plethora of fine football retro gear. So I suggest you go on a North Melbourne-like spending spree and just bet and just buy yourself the best top fashion that football fashion has to offer at leagueteas.com.au. Um, are you on your phone listening to this show? Well, just get on your browser, punch in legteas.com.au, and just get yourself a t-shirt or two, or a hoodie, or a badge. It's all there. League the Peter Landy Sensational 70s t-shirt. It's a must-have, along with everything else. Just get on it. Leaguetease.com.au. <laughs> Let's have a look at 1977, according to Sensational 70s. Old faces reappeared in
1: 1977. Here we go. The first bounce for 1977. Big Looking back on
0: 1977, Ash, in Sensational 70s and the context of where football is now, this is a real – you are right. This is an unbelievably significant year in terms of the way of how football is covered, how it's perceived, how it operates, because there's so many things that happened in that year that is relevant today. Would you be fair? Would that be a fair assumption?
2: Absolutely. It's one of the most uh, important years in football. So we paid the picture. So Alan Ayer takes over as president of the VFL in 77, and he very – as he was with North Melbourne – very brash, very ambitious, and a bold vision for the game. So, where do you where do you run through everything? You run through the not the light VFL path uh, in, in nineteen seventy seven was a really big deal. The first live telecast of the grand final. Every year the the league wanted to televise the grand final for a while. Well, the, the, the networks were keen, but the VFL could not be convinced that. The uh, they could sell the tickets for the live telecast, they were really worried it would affect the gate. <laughs> and for some reason, you might know this better than me. For some reason, the Trades Hall Council had a role to play and as well. Trades Hall Council had to sign off on a live telecast to the grand final. I'm not quite sure why, oh, okay. it be, but they were always involved, in the, yeah. The decision making somehow involved the unions as well, okay. Which I was a bit young to understand all this. I mean, I, you know, you, you'd sort of read, flip through it on the back page of the paper, but it was a it took an to push it through. I think in the end of the first one, Ron Casey, Channel 7, might have bought the last 1,000 tickets to make it a sellout. And then on that basis, they could televise the grand final. And then uh, the racing figures were so phenomenal, as are, as is explained in the show, that uh, after that, it was a no-brainer. The televised live grand final was here to say. Don't forget, there was televised live in the West Australia. It was a big deal for people who would take... People would fly to Sydney to watch a grand final live. People would leave town. And the organised trips—you'd leave town, you'd go to Sydney, go at uh, have, go play the pokies at lunch, watch the grand final, and then stay overnight, play ball pokies, fly back the next morning sort of thing. The big deal because that was only way you could watch it live on TV. Wow, that
0: that, that that's 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 amazing. I, that doesn't surprise me that people did that. Um, the football as itself, the football itself. Um, you, we were talking off air that you wanted to sum up 1977 as the year of the Peters.
2: Yeah, it was the year of the Peters because you had um, you had Peter Hudson yep. made his comeback for He He's 110 goals. Hawks talked him back, into – he was keen to come back. And the Hawks uh, come coming for premiership, and they get Hudson back to play full forward for one last year. So that was exciting. Peter McKenna. Um, having retired from Collingwood years ago because of a really bad kidney injury, he decides he wants to make a comeback. Can't reach agreement with Collingwood. So he goes and plays for Carlton. This is the Collingwood icon. He he played about 11 games for Carlton. Um, So that was a big deal. But the biggest Peter of 1977, and you want to talk about this, and I know a little bit about this, is Peter Ewan. So... Peter Ewan was a former ABC commentator. And if you watch some of the old Fox footage shows, old games from the ABC games from the 70s, um, early 70s, he's one of the commentators. Because he's got as my great mate Paul Goff says, he's the only commentator who used to sing while he commentated. Because, you know, for Magpies, you know, he's very mellifluous the way he commentated. It was a a tuneful, like a, a rhythm to his commentary that was almost musical. Anyway, so he gets the absolute prime gig. Mike Williamson, I'm not, I think it was over money, but Mike Williamson, who was the voice of Channel 7, he had the best job, Mike Williamson. He was the Channel 7 lead football commentator. He used to commentate the tennis for Channel 7, and he hosted the Penthouse Club on a Saturday night. So he had the dream gig going. For some reason, at the end of 76, he walks away and goes to Channel 9. Peter Ewan comes across from the ABC to be the replacement for... Mike Williamson, you would think that this would be the gig of a lifetime for Peter Ewan. He lasted one year mm. and then walked away and was never heard of as a sports commentator ever again. But he got to call the grand final. Or he got to call the wettest season of football ever played. Um, and you see, you know, there was a huge uh, deluge in the middle of winter on a Saturday night on a, overnight on a Friday. The grounds were torn up by the reserves on a Saturday, and then by the time see was played in the afternoon, every ground was a, a bog heap. and pretty much the rest of the year ruined every ground. So you got to call this season, and you got to call the first ever live TV grand final and, first, and, and the dawn grand final. So Peter Ewan, just this one magnificent year where he was the lead voice of football on Channel 7.
0: Have you heard from him ever since?
2: So here's the second part, sorry. Lots of journos. Um, I'm you know, not alone. There's a lot of journo's of us of a similar vintage mm. have tried over the years to write the Peter Ewan story. My great mate and former AFL record colleague Ben Collins got as far as talking to him on the phone a couple of years ago. We tracked him down. He, we knew that he lived in the Brighton. He lives in the Brighton area. He was he, for a long time he ran a nursery in Brighton. He got out of the sports media entirely, and he. Um, he was very involved in Brighton Grammar and the Brighton Grammarian Footy Club. And that sort of could be where you could find him. But eventually he had his phone number and Ben called him and spoke to him. And he said, oh, yeah, it's good to talk to you, Ben. And Ben said, listen, everybody wants to tell your story, Peter. Um, so it was 40, 2017, it was, we he wanted 40 years since the seventy seven Grand Final. Everybody's been wanting to know what's happened to you. He had this magnificent career. You've got a cult following. You know, people want to know what happened. How can he only work for a for a year? And then you walked away. And says, "Yeah, I'm happy to tell the story, but listen, I'm just going away for a couple of days. Call me again on Monday, and we'll have a chat, and we'll set up a time for the interview." And so Benny's thinking, "Oh my God, I've got the story that everybody wants to write." And this will be wait till the Monday. 901 one a.m. He rings the number, and it rang out, and he never picked up the phone call, and never never returned Ben's call. So, if you're listening, Pete, <laughs> it's Peter, all right to talk to you. we want to know. It's one of, it's one of the great mysteries. If you're a footy fan, sort of fifty, age 50-plus, 50 Peter Ewan, you want to know what's happened to him. That's he, how he just lasted one year in a great... He was a good commentator. He did it well. Why he walked away after the year is incredible. I
0: I, I was of the impression that it was um, Peter Landy calling it, um, and then someone said, no, it's Peter Ewan um, that called the 77. Yeah. Grand final. In, in terms of... Because here at the Australian Football Video Film Festival, we kind of like to talk about these classic videos, like sensational seventies, like films and television. It's kind of like the girl who played um, Marty McFly's girlfriend in Back to the Future One, but they just replaced her with someone else for the other two. Or uh, uh, yeah. but what's what's um, uh, Richie Cunningham's brother uh, on the very first season of Happy Ralph. Days? Never, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Chuck. No, never spoken of again. Yeah, that's right. Or
2: Mia Sara, who played Ferris Bueller's girlfriend in Ferris Bueller's often and she apparently nothing afterwards. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the great one hit wonders of, of sports media, is Peter Ewan. And, and you know, occasionally you talked him before he passed away, you know, Drew Balfour would talk about him a bit, and, you know, and occasionally people, oh, you know, colleagues would reach out to him, you know, old ABC colleagues, he was the ABC for a long time, not the old ABC guys would
0: reach out to him, but he just
2: walked away from sports media and, Never got involved again. It's just one of the absolute strange ones.
0: Wow, wow, well, if you're going to call one grand final, it's a pretty good one to call.
2: It's well, it's an amazing grand final call. Just to think that was the one that they finally got over the line televised televising life and it turns into a draw. Collingwood miles in front at three quarter time, and we Tom Hazy on the, the video. And the coaches get together, talked to about how the trainers are patting each other on the back at three quarter time when they're I think about twenty seven points in front. North couldn't, didn't kick a goal in the middle of two quarters and was just missing everything. I think Albert oh, ended up getting seven points, but North came back in the last quarter with a stirring comeback and probably should have won the game. And then it. They, they got a goal in front and then somehow Tui Dunn takes an unbelievable pack mark, That's marked by Tui Dunn How many in the pack? Do you reckon five, six? Mm.
0: And another passage of commentary, which is uh, Peter Ewens, is of course Phil Manassa trying
1: to get it out. What he does, Walter Manassa. Manassar drive Colin with attack goes for a run almost towards the half four nine he is now he's on 15 metres takes the handball no, faves the handball he won't give in Manassar he's going to shoot for the goal and he pulling it through He's put it
2: through great goalie in the replay, Yeah, in the replay the, the, the great run that's right the, try, yeah. the uh, three bounces on the uh, members wing at uh, the MCG come down in the goal The Colin were probably not going to win the match at that stage I think they were still three or four goals down but it was a an incredible run it's from Phil Manassar, as uh, Pete Ewan calls him. Um. Uh, but it, it, it's just great. There's great commentary everywhere. I mean, Pete Ewan also commentating when Crackers Keenan and uh, I think it's Kink or Shane Bonner have a brawl after the final, after the final sign of the drawing grand final. Don't know what Kink and uh, So uh, don't know what Keenan and uh, Betts are doing. So and so game's all it's, a lot of people who can uh, recite those lines as well off
0: the heart. It, it is a glorious Biffo montage, a, a, a glorious Biffo recap in 77. It's one of my favourites, and... Um We mentioned Peter Ewan, but, of course, the star of Sensational 70s is, of course, uh, Dawn Rainsford, and his recap of the 77 Biffo is probably my favourite of the lot, actually, just the way he articulates it where he's like, you know, David O'Halloran collected Bruce Dupereusle, and Renee King shaped up to John Scarlett, and Bill Picken went down again, and then there was Stan Magro. And it's just vicious violence, but it's just so happy. David O'Halloran collected Bruce Dupereusle.
1: Renee Kink shaped up to John Scarlett and Bill Picken went down again. Then there was Stan Magro and Gary Dempsey brought down Don Scott. And Bruce Doole was ruffled. He went down but got up quickly. You think he's getting a bit bored of recounting all the bifo and he's trying to sort
2: of artificially get interested in what's going on?
0: No. No. You cannot get bored with that. And then probably the best montage of the lot of sensational seventies is in nineteen seventy-seven where um, it's the speckies and it's it was something along the lines of it was the year of the heavyweights, but not even Rocky rose to these heights, and then a Q gonna fly now and slow-mo marks. Oh, it's just glorious. It was a year of the heavyweights, but not even Rocky
1: rose to these heights.
2: Fantastic. The other thing with seventy-seven, of course, is the brown low and grain two thousand. Oh, how could we winning. forget? But but the thing I find interesting, Dylan, is watching watching the other night was even by nineteen seventy-nine. They were making fun of the suit he wore only two years before. on two hundred brown low. So, Brownlow, so it's even by seventy-nine. It was like well, what, was he, what was he thinking wearing that?
0: Yeah, it was just like I, th- I think it would probably would have been in the aftermath. It's like, look, he won the Brownlow, but he wore a brown suit. I'll have to dig up. We'll have to dig up the articles uh, straight after the uh, seventy-seven Brownlow uh, of the coverage of it. Um, doing my research for this show, Ash, um, you've, you of course are the senior writer for the AFL Record, still going strong. Uh, back at the footy this year, you know nothing. Nothing will ever kill off the record. Um, but we've learned that, but uh, I've, I've found some footy records from the seventies. I've got this one from uh, 1977, Ash, and the footy record back then it was just a magnificent little pocket publication. Um, of course, uh, what did it have? It had you, you had you around the grounds because every game played simultaneously, a bit of A versus B and C versus D, and and the racing, the daily racing. Uh, every cigarette brand on the planet had a, had an advertising spot in it. But there's one segment in the football record of 1977. That I just love, and it lasted in the football record for a number of years. Uh, it was the Ampol VFL Football Girl of the Week.
2: It was the predecessor to Palmer's Punchlines, um, <laughs> I think. Yes, it was a, pop- a popular. Well, Can well, you explain what it was? It was just a pretty girl. A pretty- yeah, and if you are this girl, please contact us at the VFL on Monday. I'll another reason you'll get your... Oh, don't don't worry, Ash. I've
0: got, I've got the page with me now. I'm just going to read out what the text is. Uh, okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the uh, uh, Ampole VFL Football Girl of the Week. <coughs> Excuse me. This attractive lass was pictured at Arden Street Oval watching North Melbourne v Geelong. If she calls VFL House before Wednesday 5pm next, she will be eligible to enter the Ampol Football Girl of the Year quest with great first prizes. Uh, and she won a prize. She can claim these prizes, uh, Ash, uh, for having her picture snapped at the football record because, as, as the text says, they're looking for good sorts at the footy. Um, the weekly prizes include a Amphole Super Petrol voucher to the value of $20, a shampoo-style blow wave to the value of 20 courtesy of Edward Beale City and Suburban, Urban salons, a voucher of twenty five dollars <laughs> worth of jeans from any just jeans shop, a choice of pure actin fabulous fragrances, or and uh, a pair of top grade fashionable sunglasses from Polaroid. And uh, the girl of the year would win a uh, a holiday for two, staying at the popular Chevron Paradise Hotel. Servers Paradise, traveling anset, the sporting airline. I think you should bring it back.
2: Yeah, that goes <laughs> yeah,
0: very well. Do you reckon girl of the week could go down well with the uh, footy record these days? Doubtful, uh, but
2: uh, they're bringing back the Ampol brand. A World of Sport did it as well, by the way. Oh, did it? They, they used to do, they used to show girls in the crowd too. So um, it was a it was a uh, a big part of just yeah, to make sure encourage girls to go to football. You might get your picture taken and to go on TV. But no, I don't think to find now. but it was a popular part of the record. And you think the old, crusty guys at BFL would enjoy being the judges at the end of the year? And how did they judge it at the end of the year? More to the point.
0: Oh, how did they, Ash? <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to know what... Was, the it, was it like it was a Miss America year. contest? Surely not.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I can't think what it was like. The VFL in nineteen seventy-seven trying kind to of judge the football. What's it called? but? Ampole
0: VFL Girl of the Year, as the football yeah, records well. camera people go around the grounds looking for good sorts, uh, and they can win those lovely prizes if they call VFL House by five o'clock next Wednesday.
2: <laughs> now, oh, before we go on, we've been haven't discussed the mechanics of football commentary oh, football coverage in those days. Mm. So there was the three games that were televised by Channel 7. They had lots of proper cameras that were commentators. But there was always footage of the other three games. And they had that amazing soundtrack, that, whoa, whoa, you know, that uh, canned sound that I still don't know to this day where they got it from. But My talking to people at Channel 7 at the time, so what they used to do, they had one camera operated, sometimes two, but usually one who would go to a different game every um, – Will go to the three games that weren't being commentated and would we'll shoot a quarter and we'll get in the card and then go to the next game just so sure they had footage of every game. And that would appear on World of Sport the next day. And some of it's made its way into uh, into this video. Like, for example, the uh, couple from 1976, the couple of the big marks that we talked about. Um, Billy Pickens' mark was marked in 1976 was taken by, because the camera just happened to be at Victoria Park that quarter. He ended up winning mark of the year. And there's another mark that you where Michael Moncrest lands on his head, taking Mark that's Collingwood at the VFL Park. Again, that was caught by that single camera that was on the boundary line, um, having ducked out to VFL Park up, having probably been at Moorabbin or somewhere earlier in the day. So they were sometimes, great moments weren't captured because there just wasn't a the camera there. I mean, the big games were what was covered, but if there was a big moment in a, you know, one of the more obscure games, usually involving South Melbourne or Fitzroy, hmm. um, uh, who were the, the stragglers, or Melbourne, who were the stragglers at the time. Often they, they didn't go on TV that often, and you might get a, a couple of highlights for World Sport the next day, and that was it.
0: Let's have a look at 1978.
1: Ball continued at a hectic pace in 1978.
0: Book football continued at a blistering pace, according to Don Rainsford Ashley Brown.
2: Well, it was a big year for some transfers. I mean, Ross Glendinning, North had been after him for years. North had invariably got their man. North went out sorts of in the interstate. They eventually got, found their way to Island Street. And Ross Glendinning was the new guy in '78. Gary Sidebottom to St Kilda, they've been after him for years. Um, and what a colourful player he was. He made a difference to St Kilda. Same thing, I love St Kilda supporters as mates of mine. And they adored Gary Sidebottom from the very first day he stepped in the club. They just loved it. He did, they, St Kilda instantly walked taller with society out there. Um, John Murphy to South Melbourne, he played in all those, premiers, all those years without success at Fitzroy. Why he chose South Melbourne, if you're going to leave. Um, Fitzroy to go to another club. Why he chose South Melbourne, I don't know. They'd made the finals the year before, but um, could have gone to Hawthorne with his, before his father was a, a decorated player. And Norm Goss to Hawthorne was significant because Hawthorne almost never, unlike now, mm. Hawthorne almost never bought place in other clubs to them. So uh, Norm Goss playing for Hawthorne after crossing from South was an absolute
0: rarity. Um, the Biffo. Of seventy eight, uh, there's plenty of it, and naturally, you know, there's there's the recap from Don Rainsford who makes sure he ticks all the boxes of all the glorious Biff uh, we saw here. But uh, you know, the tribunal uh, was pretty lenient because this is this is a legit passage from Don Rainsford. Um, Carl Dittrich, appearing at the tribunal for the fifteenth time, was found not guilty for striking Simon Madden with both with both fists to the face.
1: Carl Ditterich, appearing at the Tribunal for the 15th time, was found not guilty of striking Simon Madden with both fists to the face.
2: Yes, yeah, so a bit editorialised in there by uh, Donnie Rainsaw, I think. Um, well, that was the famous, <laughs> um, <laughs> the famous game in Moorabbin. Um killed and net, just at each other all day, after which the Essendon president, whose name was Colin Stubbs, not to be confused with the tennis administrator, Colin Stubbs, basically got up there and said uh, that, in the got up up the in the rooms, and said they, they as in St Kilda, are a bunch of animals. But I think St Kilda war as a badge, anyway, given that they animal closure there anyway. So um, that was a really nasty ball. Funny because St Kilda started the season really well, but fell in a big hole after this game and ended up missing the finals.
0: They also uh, got humiliated, uh, St Kilda, that season uh, to foots at the uh, Witten It's not necessarily the record score. I'm more interested in. It's just yet again the spectator facilities and opportunities for spectators at the ground because uh, at the end of the game, Kelvin Templeton had marked had taken a mark, but everyone just ran onto the ground, including the coach, but the siren hadn't rang. So. When back. Kelvin Templeton marked, the ground was invaded by spectators
1: who thought incorrectly that the final siren had sounded. Even
0: coach Don McKenzie was out there as Templeton lined up for his 15th goal. A smooth operation there at, uh, not the Witten Oval, the Western Oval, as it would have been known back then. Um, and then the other bits of the elite ground facilities at the venue was just a fire breaking out randomly uh, behind the goals at Geelong.
2: Yeah, a couple of things about that Footscray and Kilda game. For starters, the umpires were really because the last goal that Templeton kicked, he took, he jumped in a pack, he never had control of the ball, basically he touched it a couple of times and fell to the ground. And the uplifts paid the mark because they just want to see him dominate and try and keep 15 goals. Here's one that I picked up that I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have got. Whatever it is, the only passage in the whole of the sensational 70s in which ABC commentary, the commentator is Peter Booth. Ah. And if you watch it back now, you have to go watch it back now. So for some reason, it was such a momentous occasion what it was that Channel 7 must have asked the ABC because they obviously didn't have cameras there that day. Seven. Um, they asked the ABC for the footage and some audio as well, and it's ABC commentates on a Channel Seven product, um, which is a little quirky aspect of of, of that
1: uh, of that particular. This, there were dramatic there were moments we in 1978, but even the most serious of them well, had a lighter side. By Ray Card, and Card drives the ball out wide, looking for Turner, pitched away by Greg, who follows on. Oh! And it uh, would be certainly a great thing for Jezza that's been I mean, appointed Captain Cates to the side uh, this week.
0: There's another great montage uh, where they get all the zany vision from the 70s and play babyface to it, and that goes for a couple of minutes, which which I quite enjoy, and that, that's very 70s, that one. It's just, you know, jock straps being taken off, and people slinging mud, and fans running onto the ground, and a bit of Barassi yelling on the players. It's like, if you want a montage of what football was like in the 70s, go go into the 1978 uh, montage with Babyface playing.
2: Babyface, you've got the cutest thing. Well, it a bit of a laugh. Yeah, World Sport has got that sort of thing as well. World Sport has got that sort of stuff on the Sunday highlights as well. So it was probably culled from the World
0: Sport archive. Speaking of iconic 70s biffo, um, Crackers Keenan getting two weeks for belting Don Scott. In- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crackers mm-hmm. Keenan got mm-hmm. two weeks for belting Don Scott and missed out on the grand final.
1: It appears that way. Don
0: Scott. Was it the semi final? Semi final? Is that the one? There was a second yeah. semi final yeah. out at Waverly. You yeah. and one- I
2: made the same observation.
0: There is one bit of vision, that vision, and I'd love to trace down the person, but they show it a lot, and it's in slow motion where Crackers belts Don Scott. And one of the blue coats at Waverley just gets up and applauds and goes, "You got it!" Like a fan in the crowd, it is absolutely glorious. And if you are that blue coat, please get in touch with us. <laughs> it's uh,
2: the blue coats at Waverley had the greatest thing of all time. But most of them just basically as a complete launch. to get him the for free. There wasn't actually a lot of work <laughs> going on. A mate of mine was a blue coat car park and he basically just the for ten minutes and then it's factory. Coat and went and stood up the back and watched the footy for free every week. So, and that's no, right, not for free, I paid for it. So, <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, a very, uh, yeah, great job to have. There's a, a, a blue coat wave, but I'm not sure there's a waiting list for it, but it was very desirable employment at the time. Um, we see a bit of a, a fabulous still belting up, can and I think that's at a semi final the episode the, the same day as crackers and um, Don Scott are going out at the BFL park. If you want to get crackers, Going again, he, great record, Dirt Crackers. Again, us, whatever me hit, Don Scott that day, Crackers, and he, he tells the story beautifully. So, um, this is one of his favs. He ended up costing playing in the grand final. It's one of his, uh, one of his great moments.
0: Um, another thing too that happened in '78, uh, we saw Sunday football uh, make its uh, debut. Uh, no, the Sunday football was still an issue. So we talk about flexible fixturing, and we've seen football being played at exotic times and exotic locations. But Sunday football was still a big issue back then, and they point that out in 1978. Um, how big was the? How big was it to? How how contentious was Sunday football and the concept of playing games on a Sunday? Well,
2: there wasn't, and the, the BFL weren't happy about it. But you have to understand that back in 1978 as the famous advertising jingle went, Sunday's for the VFA. On Sunday, it's the
0: VFA. It's Sunday,
2: you're
1: going to make your play. For the VFA. Today, you're going to fly. It's Sunday for the VFA. It's Sunday. Sunday,
2: it's Sunday. Only you know seven you like football? You watched a night period during the week on Channel 7. But uh, live football weekend was the VFA on Sunday afternoon. So most people had a BFA, you had a VFA you met a new kid at school, right, like, who do you barrack for? My barrack wasn't killing And who do you follow in the VFA? It was like the set-the-fire question, because everybody watched VFA football as well. And players such as Fred Cook and uh, Buster Harland and Frosty Miller and Joe Rodojevic were as big names, almost as big as names in Melbourne as the VFL stars at the time, because they just dominated Sunday. So the Punters didn't care so much because it was you could it was, you could get your footy kicks on a Sunday, but the point the VFL made was quite valuable. Was that every other major sport was allowed to play on Sundays and because uh, you could go to chess cricket on a Sunday, big time soccer, so Australian Open was Australia playing on a Sunday. The only sport that wasn't allowed to play on Sundays was the VFL, and it was a ridiculous start of affairs. that it took another few years. Well, you'll touch on it in the early '80s because it becomes uh, that's pretty much the decade when Sunday footy started. Um, but, yeah, as a, it didn't matter so much at the time. But uh, what was it? Three million spectators all going to football on a Sunday afternoon it was pretty fundamental. What was great about that time, that was the first year I was allowed to go to football. club well, I was 13 and 78. It was the first year I was allowed to go to football without parental supervision. And I'd take a tram into the city and then get a tram back to the city after then, usually from Princess Park to Watch Hawthorne, to go home. And the city was a melting pot at about... on a Saturday afternoon, the city was, you often see people who've been to four or five different games. The only ones who weren't in the city by then were the people who'd been out at Waverley Mm. or if there was a game at Geelong. But otherwise, the city, you'd see people with scarves from all these different teams. You'd jump on the tram to go home and I'd take a tram to East Brighton and you'd be talking to people who'd been at three or four different games. Oh, we had the MCA, who played well? It was a real collegial feel amongst all the footy fans and that's something that they don't obviously get now, and that's the reason why the three million people going pretty much exclusively on a Saturday is, is incredible. And there's obviously we'll never go back to that day. The numbers of the footy obviously are very impressive, but just it's totally different time. But there was different people that didn't work on Sat on the weekend. Pretty much shops closed at twelve o'clock on Saturday, so Saturday afternoon was for sport and you know, for in winter for, for going to for the footing.
0: Hawks win the seventy-eight grand final.
2: I believe
0: so. Yeah, you believe so. You, you seem to <laughs> recall. <pretty>
2: cool. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, it was uh, not a particularly great game. Um, Peter Knights takes a great league. mark.
0: That's all I can recall from any recollections of the seventy-eight Grand Final when it gets uh, replayed. Oh, Phil Phil Baker took. I oh, Phil Baker. That that's big right. big marks
2: the second quarter, that's including right, yes. that mark that ended up on the pub wall of every pub in the country. Yeah, over Kelvin Moore and Ian Payton. so he was spectacular. But he didn't hear his coin. Malcolm Blight won the Brownlow. We the going to Tour, yes, moves. With play the like this, ball.
1: Malcolm Blight uh, won yeah. North Melbourne's third Brownlow medal in six years. He became the first South Australian ever to win Victorian football's highest honour. Whether it was in the air or on the ground, or shooting for goal from seemingly impossible positions, Blight was sheer magic. It was an embarrassing win. Outdoors, In the days leading Michael up to the Michael cut, Blight, it was whispered one one that Blight had won from Peter Lawrence, Knights and the red hot favourite Gary Wilson. Malcolm, it was a rumour that turned Lawrence, out to be spot on. But who cared? Round no medals
2: are cold, only won by champions. My father came home on Monday night and I said, Gary, are you watching the brown tonight? He said, No, we're not. Malcolm Blight speaks Peter nice for two votes. Did you get one? No sure sure. but watching, my father was right. He said they picked he said it was what was gonna happen. Blight and Baker were both hurt before half time. Hawthorne dominated the second half to win um to give David in his first premiership, winning the Windvale famous Windvale roll neck jumper. Um but a pretty non remarkable um non remarkable grand final. It was the second grand final with the big match pre game entertainment. I think Keith Michelle Keith making impossible dream.
0: Is that um yeah. Uh, I think that's also... It's not in Sensational 70s, but they play this vision a lot. They play a lot of the vision of uh, the broadcast of Peter Landy on the boundary line kicking the kid.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> he was calling the game, so he probably wasn't downstairs. It might have been from 77, I think, when he was sort, uh, sort of the host of the broadcast while they were actually commentating the game. Oh, okay. Um, Barry Crocker sang the impossible dream in 77. Yeah. Which... Peter Ewan, we, talked, we went through it briefly. He says at one stage, um, Barry Crocker said, The apostle Drees, the apostle Drees got right to come through for it off Melbourne. <laughs> so that's what, we talked about the military was Peter Ewan. That's one of his famous lines from his uh, one year commentating League football. So yeah, 78 was a fairly, I mean, after the remarkable year of 77, 78 was a bit of a sort of a hangover year, I think, for footy.
0: Let's finish with the last of the sensational 70s and let's go to 1979. In 1979, the theme
1: song for Seven's Big League sold 210,000 records and became the football anthem of a nation.
0: I'm there
1: Jump, let him in, fly the... Like-
0: 79 starts with what I like to call the demo version uh, of a little song that's just been released called Up There Kazali."
2: Yes, it was the advertising jingle by the two-man band. It wasn't even Mike Brady then. It was the two-man band. And uh, it was the intro to the Channel 7 replay at 6.30 on a Saturday night. And uh, interesting as it took off in the I do remember one night from the city record that year when they wrote an article about um, the success of a song and in typical VFL spin, the record says, and oh, it's a surprisingly big
0: hit on the dance
2: floors at
0: the disco. Have <laughs> oh, <okay. I, laughs> you I,
2: ever worked on the dance floor up there, Kazali?
0: I would have no, I would, if, if I was running any, if I was running a disco, <laughs> I would happily play up there, Kazali. I think Up There I think <laughs> on the, Look,
2: I, I've, oh.
0: actually, I've actually got a controversial view that the thing about football is a superior football song to Up There Casale, but that, that's for another show. Um, no, t- One Day in September is a
2: better song. One day, day in September?
0: Yeah? Oh, that's
2: the song. That's the best of
0: the on. Uh, I'm more a thing about football, man, but maybe that's more in my generation uh, with, with that. Or, or the football song, the B side to all the theme songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: that's a
0: pretty good one, too. By, by the Fable Singers. Um, what I've noticed about '79 is because they obviously uh, they must have taken forever to make "Sensational '70s," and it was made in 1979. Is it actually doesn't feature much football action in '79? It, it sort of it sort of is more of a blooper reel um, than, than football action uh, because it sort of just starts off with the you know, up there. Kazaley's released. Um, they then go to the night series, which is now featuring West Australian teams. Um, That they're now playing against, and South Melbourne's playing South Fremantle, and they're in South Melbourne's actually in orange jumpers, clash jumpers, because they literally wear the same jumper. But there's this great footage of Mel Brown, the South Fremantle coach cracking the shits at the umpires, which is akin to what we would see when I think Mark Stevens stepped on his doorstep a few years ago. Time
1: that the going Mal Lamouth
0: came back to town. Like this time he was start, fighting umpires saying, instead of players. To to
1: well, how ridiculous they is were that, victorious that is the and that was all that mattered to Surely him. the umpires should have enough common sense to be able to say, well, look, this is what I'm going to do. But the run around running, I'm not allowed to talk to you. It's like a little kid that lost his football and was sent home, you know, took it home. Well, we might see you up here on Monday night. You, you won't be back. seeing me. I'm not. I'm going home now. They can please and bloody selves. What they do? We'll have a radio link up or something. They can see themselves. Yeah,
2: yeah. There he goes off. And there's a sprinkler game. The horse off the yes. Which I again, shame to. I was at that game. I was one of the three thousand people. At that game. Uh, when Hawthorne uh,
1: played Claremont VFL Park sprang yeah, a leak it was, it it was, was no oasis for Western the Sandgropers their winning streak was cool and they so, lost well, by a kick somebody's uh, you know, on the Victorian side
2: for sure that night I uh, went along so um, that was the good one yeah, you are right, actually in, in hindsight thinking about that there isn't a whole lot of footage out of the season but they did somehow manage to get the Brownlow from two nights before into the Wednesday night production he said it was shown on Wednesday night so I did a bit of scrambling at the end to get Peter Moore's uh, acceptance speech from the Brownlow into, into that video. But uh, And what it does is, there's a couple of notable things here. The first two games in Sydney, we talk about the brash and ambitious uh, Alan Aylward. Well, the national expansion started that year with two home and away games, including the grand final rematch, North Melbourne B Hawthorne, being played at the Sydney Cook Ground. That was the very start of the AFL's, or national push. Um, the <laughs> this is what I noticed watching this one was the um the Stan Magro hit on um on Jazz, which is one of the best hit I mean again, w- wouldn't happen these days, but it was <laughs> an unbelievably brutal brutal hit, wasn't it? Mm.
0: Um there's yeah, there's the Stan Magro hit and then um in terms of the blooper reel that is 1979 because it's more bloopers than football, um, you've got uh, back to the night series, you get Peter Moore changing shorts mid-game. Uh, they, they show that yep. vision for some reason. Uh, then, of course, there's, you know, what are, what are the buzzwords they have these days? The match day experience, fan engagement, you know, the, the stadium experience. And, uh, again, North Melbourne being the innovative club, uh, just uh, really took it to the next level at Arden Street because the 1979 section of Sensational 70s, of course, features the elephant at Arden Street at halftime. An angry elephant ran a market at Arden Street, proving you hadn't seen anything
1: in a football match until you'd been to North Melbourne. It's so frightening to look
2: at it now. <laughs> and the poor girl on the, on the elephant, it so bad, out of control of the dandelion. But yeah, it was much North Elm thing. back you, you talk about match day experience too, and, and sort of serious observation was that Magro hit on Jezalenko was the Carlton kind game at Princess Park and were, I think they were one and two on the ladder. So the build-up was enormous. I think from recollection, like, I wrote about this in the record last year, the game was locked out by half the time in the reserves. They'd already shut the gates and there were something like 45,000 people crammed into Princess Park for the game. It was after that game that the editorial line started about Transferring big games to the MCG. And that's really where it was 1979 was a year in which, in a way, the ground rationalization that sort of started properly in the 80s and finished in the 90s. It started the 79s, there were all these big games, it started to become really clear that Footy wasn't I and mean, when you had Carlton Collins success at the same time. It was starting to become clear that the suburban grounds just couldn't hold big crowds anymore. And but they had no choice. They had no, you talk about Sunday football as well, Dylan. They had no flexibility to move games to Sunday. They couldn't move a game to the MCG on a Sunday mm. because they wanted to play on a Sunday. Something had to give eventually. And I think one of the reasons maybe, I think that now in hindsight, one of the reasons Sunday football did come in was a health and safety requirement. And they realised we can't play these big games at suburban grounds anymore. We have to be flexible and someone's going to get killed. And we saw what happened in European soccer in the 80s. People did die. Mm. Um, and someone did die of footy. I think in the early eighties, a person did die at a Carlton-Victoria game from uh, in a stadium crash. But that's those games. Look at those people packed in the you know, people packed at Victoria Park for Carlton-Kansas games at Princess Park and you know, big Richmond games as well at, and Windy Hill. It's just insane. Now we think about the conditions that people went to the, would endure to go to the football. And I think and. 79, see a bit of it not on the 79 package in this video as an example of
0: that. And we do, I guess, rose-coloured glasses and everything like that. People retrospectively glorify the days at these tiny suburban grounds, and I'm definitely the last generation that got to experience any of them, not quite like they were in the 70s, but I certainly remember going to Places in the 90s and early 2000s. You know, I've got memories of going to Whitten Oval, um, Princess Park, Waverley, um, but they weren't the most comfortable of places to watch. And I get, you know, people talk about Waverley just being radical because it had clean toilets and things like that. So these, these football grounds, while they are historic and, you know, amazing stories and things like that, they, they were certainly, you know, they weren't the best places to go.
2: Yeah, well, I look back now. I was, a, you know, I said I was going pretty the footy stand out with my, you know, with an adult when I was about seven or eight and by myself when I was 13. But was, my kids were, well, I had small kids. There's no way known I would have taken to the football the conditions then, the conditions back in the, you know, late aughts when I started taking my kids to the footy. No way known I would have taken them to the footy if it had been like, well, it was 1978 or, or 79, not a chance in the world. They had to. I had to get modern, and yeah, I love to go oh, to Melbourne. You used to love your annual visit to the away ground, yeah. and one of the joys of watching the sensational Seventies is the memories of your annual trip to Footscray, your annual trip to Essendon. How would you get there? Where would you stand? And where where did the or supporters congregate when we used to play Essendon and that sort of thing? And it was wonderful, and I wouldn't. I'm so glad I did it, but there's no way known I would take my kids to footy under similar circumstances. Not a chance at all.
0: Hmm. And. And, yeah, there, there is there, – it is a bit, I get I guess, plain uh, in terms of a duopoly of grounds in Victoria where you can either go to the MCG or Docklands, uh, Marvel, whatever. It, it's a bit boring. Um, there, there isn't that variety. Oh, yeah.
2: There's not a lot of difference between a Hawthorne-Richmond game versus a Richmond-V Hawthorne game.
0: No, it's just different yeah, signage. It's just, different yeah, signage yeah, and a different ground yeah, announcer. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's
2: exactly the, the same experience, and that's
0: sad its own way but it's a lot more comfortable (laughs) it is a lot more comfortable and and having said that i think even you know my my experience of going to suburban grounds in the 90s where they were still a bit more safer uh than they were say in the 70s because uh i I seem to recall you know particularly princes park that was very much seated and stadium like um compared to the, the sort of looseness that you see in sensational 70s uh throughout all the venues um they did mention the sort of Sunday football debate. So the VFL was pretty innovative. Um, And again, going back to the blooper tape that is 1979 because they mentioned that it's the launch of the Commodore cup, which of course was the reserves competition. Um, But the only highlight we see is Percy Joe's hitting the point post, which gets included every football video blooper video ever since.
1: Bounces right, he's got a chance to snap Sunday football finally came to Melbourne and was televised live by seven. In this Commodore Cup match, an ageing star the found the goalpost easier post. to kick than the ball. That's Percy, had the chance to get
2: back the side it, was a Yeah, thanks for Carlton reserves. Our four reserves at Marabin, and whatever reason he was dropped from the Carlton scene. And <laughs> Paul Bassett kicks the point post and trying to sock through what had been a very... Easy goal, but
0: um, and just the best. Yeah, the
2: context gets lost. The context gets lost a like, lot. Doesn't after people and can I hear Lou Richards commentating as well. People think it was it was extra reserves game. Yeah. It was the VFL's first way to try and break into Sunday. They were allowed to play Sunday football at Melbourne because they didn't charge people to go in. So it sort of circumvented the law. There's nothing the state government could do about it. So that and they televised it televised live and it sort of. Cut the VFA's TV audience in half, and it was the, again the start of a push towards Sunday football. It took a few more years mm-hmm. for fruition, but the standard footage is pretty bad. It's called the Comedy Cup for a reason because it reserves and there was a lot of ordinary football players.
0: And, and, and Lou's commentary of Percy Jones hit the point. versus his peak Lou Richards was, like, Oh golly, you had the chance, and you blew it, mate, or something like that. It was, it was very funny.
2: Yeah, by golly,
0: <laughs> um,
2: uh, Lou Richards was at his peak, and he was at his absolute. Peak of his powers in the late 70s, he was a fantastic commentator.
0: Um, and yeah, you are right about the uh, VFL VFA divide uh, these days. That when you talk about Code Wars, it's actually different types of football. Uh, but back then, Code Wars was VFL and VFA, right? That, 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 that was the Code yeah. Wars. Yeah, it was.
2: And, and also, there's a bit of politics there because the Labour Party was very close to the VFA. VFA had a lot of support in Labour and Labor councils and Labor people. And the VTL was probably a little bit more skewed towards uh, the Liberal Party and those go the government, but for all that, they couldn't win through. They couldn't actually win to a government level to, to get it going for uh, until, until
0: the 80s. Um, we get a few goals of the season. We get the marks of the seasons. Uh, Michael Roach, 1979's mark is pretty iconic. It's one of, the, one of probably the greatest football mark photos ever taken. I'd probably say that one of Roach uh, against Hawthorne. Um, And then because, as we mentioned at the very start of this little edition about Sensational 70s, because Sensational 70s aired on the Wednesday prior to the 1979 grand final, um, it just finishes with Peter Moore winning the uh, 79 Brownlow and just says, you know, that the most important thing is to win on Saturday. So, uh, spoiler alert. Um, it's not featured in Sensational 70s But he's in, for a, he's in for a world of pain A few days later
1: But um, the, the name of the game in football Is, is to win premierships And uh, unfortunately we didn't do it in 77 And Collingwood And the Collingwood supporters um, Have been waiting for 21 or 22 years mm. For a premiership And to me, although this is wonderful And I, you know, I'm really honoured to receive it I think that um, I'll just be forgetting about it and get out and set it on Saturday and try and get best on the ground.
2: Well, grand finals, one the the best grand finals I've ever been to, and yeah. it was a magnificent game. It was cold and wet. Yeah, um, the wettest grand final that in '09 were the two wettest grand finals that I've been to. But it was just so dramatic. Carlton jump, Carlton jumped the jump Carlton. Carlton came back. The Wayne Harm's goal, and there's a story about how the Channel 7 camera crew on strike, so they had to get the management to film the game, and they actually mucked up the vision of Wayne Harms getting the goal. Um,
1: Down towards the half-forward line, Harms tries to pick it up, Buckley gets it out to Harms now, he's pursued by Brewer, but he can't catch him. Harms fires at the goals, but he's off target. It's rolling towards the boundary line, and Harms almost makes ground, he taps it, back to Sheldon. and it's a
2: goal! So it have captured Sheldon, whereas the ABC vision, which doesn't get seen as often, captures it beautifully. they switch from one camera to the other uh, seamlessly, which helps them bugger it up. Um, that's sort of lost in history a little bit. Um, Jezert hurting his ankle late in the last quarter. Um, a bit surprising in way. I mean, just like they – did they recap one of the Star Wars at the end? Um, mm. The Episode three, I think it was, of Star Wars. They sort of recut yeah, they the
0: last
2: yep. few minutes. Why hasn't anyone ever recut the last 10 minutes of the sensational seventy-two to include the the nineteen-sixty-nine grand final?
0: Hey, nice. Maybe because was a maybe the decision was made by a Collingwood supporter just said, "Nah, nah, we don't need <laughs>
2: Eddie McGuire." <laughs> Somehow <laughs> Eddie McGuire put a. It- That fat war unloaded with the crash jumpers.
0: Yeah, it's just like, no, there's some some sort of fat war. (laughs) They they put an affidavit. They got a cease and desist. Collingwood sent a cease and desist to Channel 7. You're not making – you're not finishing off Sensational 70. Stop it there. Um, Ash, it is –
2: I reckon 79 had one last thing before we go. Yeah. I think, uh, again, not captured. I believe it was like first year of – crossing to Scotty Palmer during the footy replay. I think that oh, started
0: brilliant. in on as well. Brilliant. Um, and also Fitzroy got the highest score ever, which was probably on that little ISO cam. that they, they didn't have that. Yeah. On, they
2: but I, think
0: have they ducked, I think they got the SOS back after very quickly. as history happened. Yeah. Fitzroy's going to kick that record score. Ash, that concludes Sensational 70s. It has been a lot of fun uh, talking with you about this iconic football documentary. You've been a wealth of knowledge. Um, you've got your new book out. Give it a plug.
2: Yeah, AFL 2020, season like no other, available through Hardy Grants, thirty two ninety nine, dollars 99 com at all good booksellers, published March uh, 17. AFL record, uh, season guides out, pre-season records out, and the weekly editions, of course, start for round one, available in shops and at the grounds. Lots uh, of good old dates, so... Uh, give the record a play with you and I'll record and sell it Dylan so yep, yep. you you're uh, a did, great fan uh, of
0: record so proud f- proud uh, football record seller alumni MCG seven seasons yep yep so give us uh, publication get on, get on board the
2: record as well uh, this has been absolute privilege for me Dylan so I'm a huge fan of yours this podcast is wonderful the memories it brings back are terrific so thank you for giving me the opportunity to relive a magical time of my life and uh the best footy
0: video her mate. Ash thanks for joining us. Ashley Brown joining us there, talking about the sensational 70s. We got through it in two parts. The first one, 1970 to 1974, and now 1975 to 1979. What an iconic piece of football cinema. Is it the greatest football movie ever produced? Well... From the Australian football video range, yes. But uh, in our minds, it is as good as it gets. But there's also the electrifying 80s and the 90s, the decade that delivered. Don't worry, we will do episodes on that. This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. My name is Dylan Leach. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe to it on whatever platform you listen to this on. And if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate a review, preferably a good one. We don't have time for the bad ones, but a good one would do us a world of good. Uh, a big thank you to our sponsors, Uh That Peter Landy League Tees T-shirt, uh, Sensational 70s League Tees T-shirt. My God, you got to buy one. I-, I-, I think just about every one of our listeners will be wearing that T-shirt. Uh, Nick Blaker for use of the studio. And of course you can get Ash's book, uh, 2020 AFL season 2020, a year like no other. Given all the madness that happened in the last football season, it is a magnificent document of what transpired and a great read. Uh, It's available at all good bookstores and of course the bad ones as well. So uh, if you haven't got that book yet, uh, I'd uh, I recommend you do. I'd preferably prefer it if you wore your League T Sensational 70s Peter Landy shirt while it's reading Ash's book. That would show the power of this podcast. Uh, this is the Australian Football Video Film Festival. My name is Dylan Leach. More great titles to be reviewed soon. Thank you so much for listening.